0: This episode of Banner Health's Making the Rounds is going to take a deep dive into early detection of lung nodules and lung cancer screening. Thank you for tuning in to this very informative episode. I am your host, Caitlin, and with me today are two lead physicians within the Lung Nodule Surveillance and Diagnostics Program at Banner MD Anderson Cancer Center at North Colorado Medical Center. Dr. John David Cowden is the Director of Pulmonary Medicine and Thoracic Oncology for Banner Health Western Region and for the Banner Medical Group, and works closely with Banner MD Anderson Cancer Center at North Colorado and McKee Medical Centers. Also here today is Dr. John Caleb Richards, an imaging consultant for Banner Health Western Region with specialty training in thoracic radiology, who works closely with Dr. Cowden. He is a partner within the Radiology Imaging Associates. Thank you both for joining me
1: thanks caitlin hey caitlin good to join you
0: so during the next half hour we're going to introduce the rationale for and structure of our lung nodule program as always we gather to give our listeners a clear presentation of our objectives along with some take-home points to assist in everyday practice with that in mind i'm going to set the stage for our listeners Lung cancer is the leading cancer killer in both men and women in the United States, with the five-year survival rate is 18.6%, according to the American Lung Association. That's an impactful number. We hope that having conversations like these will bring more awareness to screening for lung cancer early. Another statistic shares that only 16% of lung cancer cases are diagnosed at an early stage.
2: Yeah, geez, um, really good to be here today. And um Thanks for everybody joining us. Those, those statistics are uh, undeniably uh, impressive and uh, capture our attention. They explain why we are here with recent momentum in advocating for lung cancer awareness. So let me add a few more statistics to those already stated. Yes, lung cancer is the number one cause of cancer-related mortality, with more deaths than colon, breast, and prostate combined. You'll notice each of those cancers have some sort of screening mechanism in place, which is where we want to go with lung cancer and and improve our numbers drastically. Like other cancers, treatment and prognosis of lung cancer is stage dependent. As you mentioned, the overall five-year survival rate is only 22.6%, but if you break that down by stage, it's clear that patients do better the earlier we detect the cancer. So, traditionally, the majority of patients with lung cancer present at later stage about 70%, and their five-year survival rate is less than 10%. These are probably patients who likely were not in a screening program, but instead have their cancer diagnosis at the time they develop symptoms, like having imaged ordered through the office or ER. However, about 30% of patients with lung cancer present at an early localized stage, and their five-year survival is near 85%. That's 85% versus in the teens to 10% range. Because the survival difference between early and late-stage disease is so great, lung cancer screening has been a topic of interest to identify these patients with earlier-stage disease.
0: So what exactly is lung screening, and how did it come about?
2: Yeah, thanks. This has been a long um, developing screening process, but um, in multiple decades prior to 2002, we had various attempts at screening. But in 2002, uh, we started what's called the National Lung Screening Trial, which was launched to improve early detection of lung nodules. The trial compared two ways of detecting lung cancer. The first, a low-dose helical computed CT, also known as an LDCT, and the second, a standard chest X-ray. The trial enrolled over 50,000 current or former heavy smokers between the ages of 55 and 74, with a history of at least 30-pack years um, of smoking. There's much more to the study. We can all read this on cancer.gov, but the real part that we want to highlight in this podcast is that the study found that participants who received the low dose CT scans had a 20% lower risk of dying from lung cancer and those who received, compared to those that received a standard chest X-ray. In the real world setting, however, I think it's reasonable to assume the mortality difference is even higher. Since here, the control arm is patients receiving an annual chest X-ray and reality, you're probably looking at patients getting annual low-dose CT versus no imaging or screening mechanism at all. This study then inspired recommendations in 2013 from the USPSTF and in 2015 CMS guidelines for lung screening. Now MD Anderson has its own recommendations for lung cancer screening, but there has been even more study of lung screening showing benefit such as the Nelson trial, a randomized controlled trial of about 16,000 patients that showed an even greater 25% decrease in mortality.
0: Wow, those are some impactful numbers. So, the National Lung Screening Trial really changed the game when it comes to detecting the disease at an earlier stage when it's easier to treat. I want to go back a little bit in the patient journey and talk about risk factors. Who is recommended or eligible, I should say, for annual screenings?
2: Yeah, thanks, Caitlin. So we look at a a few things when it comes to a person's risk of developing uh, lung cancer. Tobacco use, obviously, is, is the top risk factor. Of course, the longer you smoke and the more packs you smoke, the greater your risk is. Current smokers or smokers who quit within the last 15 years have a 20-pack year history that is one pack a day for 20 years or the equivalent are at a high risk of developing lung cancer. We are looking at people between the ages of 50.
1: Currently the screening rate um, uptake has been uh, pretty low. So since the CMS has come out with their um, current guidelines in 2015, we've been able to study how many persons that are actually eligible for screening um, go through and get it. And the American Lung Association puts out statistics on this sort of thing, and the national uptake is pretty poor. So of all the persons that are eligible for lung cancer screening, only about 5.7% have actually um, gotten screened, and that's nationally. You can break that down by state, and regionally here in Colorado – that number's even lower, um, somewhere around 3.5%. So we're missing out on a lot of patients that could really benefit from this program. And it's estimated that about 40,000 lives or 48,000 lives could be saved if everyone that was eligible for screening actually got it. So um, it sort of brings up some interesting questions on why the uptake has been so low. Um, and I think there's a couple of factors. One, this is a new... Type of screening program. Um, you know, there have been efforts to perform lung cancer screening going back to the early 2000s, as Dave has mentioned, but really um, the big swing of momentum came in 2015 with um, the new CMS guidelines. So we're still in a pretty early stage of this program, which I think explains some of the poor uptake. There's also the issue of patient awareness. Uh, Being a new program, patients may not even know that they're eligible for um, such a program and that they could benefit from it. The American Academy of Family Practice didn't endorse lung cancer screening until recently with the new updated U.S. Preventative Services Task Force guidelines um, that clearly demonstrate a benefit of lung screening. So now it feels like more of the societies are on the same page endorsing this program. So it's definitely something that um, needs some work, and we have low uptake. I think we have enough momentum to hopefully improve those numbers. So I want to bring up another issue. We talked about who's eligible for lung cancer screening, and with the new USPSTF guidelines, as Dave mentioned, I'll reiterate, persons that are 50 to 80 years of age, 20-pack-year smoking history, and... um, current or former smoker. If former, they've quit within the 15, past 15 years. If you look at what the CMS guidelines are from 2015, um, it's a little bit more of a constricted um, um, criteria, meaning that it's uh, patients 55 to 77 years of age, and they require a higher degree of um, smoking exposure or 30 pack year smoking history exposure. Um, What we learned is that with that that range, we were really missing out on some persons that could benefit from screening, so specifically African-Americans. What studies have found is that um, an African-American male or female are at much higher risk of lung cancer and dying from lung cancer, and that risk occurs at an even lower degree of smoking intensity or smoking exposure. So, in simple terms, um, they're at a higher risk being at a lower pack. So, the hope is with, and the studies have shown, with the new USPSTF guidelines will capture more um, African Americans that are at higher risk and hopefully um, provide benefit to them and uh, catch catch their lung cancer at an early stage. So, lastly, I want to talk about some of the other risks for lung cancer. Uh, right now, smoking is the number one risk, and that's what we base who's eligible for screening on. As you know and may be aware of there that's not the only thing that places a person at risk for lung cancer. There's family history, um, uh, substances they may have been exposed to through occupation like asbestos or radon, and there are calculators that you can do to um, assess someone's risk that takes into account all of these other factors, but we're not quite there yet. Um, using that to um, determine who is eligible for screening, we're probably a bit away, a bit ways away. Um, and we think with using the main risk factor, which is smoking, their pack year history and what their smoking status is, that'll be the most um, easily uh, to widely implement um, lung cancer screening. So that's where we're at now.
2: That's not, that's really impressive. Uh, thanks, Caleb. I, I think the um, demographics for our region are also important to remember here. And though not as impressive as the numbers for um, risk for black individuals, we have a very high Latino population in in northern Colorado and in our region and they certainly are more at risk for our demographics. So including Latinos into why we want to shift um, down to a lower pack year history and uh, earlier age would be important. Now, as we develop this program, um, we're, we're here to help facilitate the process. And so if there are any questions in how somebody is kind of screened and what we want to be able to document, Uh, it's important to remember some of the CMS guidelines for appropriate um, coverage for the program, and that is uh, what's called shared decision-making. When we meet with a patient, we want to ensure that we're bringing the patient into the discussion for these various um, programs, the risks, what we're doing, and also include in that the fact that we want to Uh, really target smoking cessation. So, when we meet with our patients in clinic one-on-one, not necessarily just in the program, if they're referred into the program for that, but also in your own offices, the shared decision-making needs to be documented, that we discussed with the patient the screening process, that we discussed smoking cessation, that we discussed the minor risks of proceeding forward, and the the fact that what we want to do is actually have a yearly annual low-dose screening CT scan as part of the program to ensure that we are on mark for our next risk assessment for lung cancer. So it's not just a one-time low-dose CT scan. Part of the program means there's follow-up. And so documenting that conversation as occurring, um, it is a requirement uh, for the annual screening program. Uh, That's an important part. So anyway, Caleb, um low dose radiation exposure or low dose screening how how does that how does that relate to a diagnostic CT? It, it, we certainly hear a common set of questions coming from patients or other physicians, and that is what that radiation exposure is. and And in your experience and what you do, how can we help uh, providers uh, answer those uh, types of questions for patients?
1: Yeah, and um, you know this concern or fear of radiation with diagnostic imaging is uh, something that comes up anytime we do a radiology test. And um, I imagine it's something that'll come up in your shared decision-making visit in determining whether a patient wants to proceed with uh, lung screening. And I think we're both on the same page that we clearly think that going through a lung screening program um, is far outweighs any theoretical risk of um, radiation exposure. Um, And I think that's probably the first place to start is to give the risk benefit discussion of the more immediate risk of um, a, a lung cancer. And if you don't go through with lung screening, you could potentially miss that in an early treatable stage versus a theoretical risk of low-dose radiation um, especially in someone who's you know in an, an older in you know, older stage of older stage of their life you know we're looking at screening persons that are 50 to 80. so that, that's a start but also i think you have to look at the tremendous strides that we've made in um, reducing our radiation exposure on these low-dose lung cancer screening cts and I think we were able to really lower those because we're really focused on the lung parenchyma and nodules. So we've been able to get away with super low um, levels of radiation. So um, I'll throw some numbers at you. The, the way we would measure the radiation is um, a unit called a sievert or a millisievert. Um, that's a way to approximate the effective radiation dose. And um, Looking at a couple radiology tests, an x-ray is 0.1 millisieverts. Um, A standard CT chest is 7 millisieverts. And a LODOS CT is 1.5 millisieverts. So one way to look at this is um, our LODOS CT, the level of radiation, is a little under a fourth of our normal CT chest. If you look at it to an equivalent of x-rays, it's about 10 to 15 x-rays. And another way to look at it is some of our other CTs we do, like a CT abdomen pelvis without and with intravenous contrast, that's 20 millisieverts. So we're looking at about 5%. A low-dose CT chest is 5% of the level of radiation of some of these other commonly performed um, radiology tests. Um, I think the last way that you could explain it is um, sort of emphasizing the patients are... Um, educating them that you know, radiation isn't just something that we get from these diagnostic tests. There's background radiation that we're exposed to in our everyday lives. And in Colorado, being at an elevation, we're um, exposed to an even higher level than the rest of the country. Um, going on a plane fly to elevation, you're exposed to a bit more radiation. So I think it's probably reassuring the patients to hear that you're, you're exposed to radiation in your everyday life. So it's maybe not something new that you're getting radiation from a diagnostic test, albeit it's a bit more than you would get in background. Um, you can also approximate what a radiology test is to like a duration of time that they're exposed to background radiation. So for example, a low dose CT of point or 1.5 millisieverts is comparable to the background radiation you'd get in six months time. You know, that doesn't sound as good. So maybe that's the way, not the best way to, um, to explain it to a patient and maybe emphasizing how much less it is than a standard CT chest is better. But um, I think at least explaining to them that there's background radiation um, and emphasizing how much less the radiation is than a diagnostic CT are things that could um,
2: Uh, reassure a patient. Yeah, geez, Caleb, thanks for that. Um, A lot of numbers, but if there's a way to try and approach that patient um, with a dialogue and anticipating some of the questions about risk or the questions about, you know, how to reduce those risks, uh, the program really can help facilitate that. Uh, Other means or comparisons Uh, for how other screening programs might have some risk in comparison. I've always tried to do that, especially with regard to breast cancer. In realizing our most successful uh, issues have surrounded breast cancer, uh, that program being solidified and accepted, then realizing that lung cancer really reduces that risk by 20% versus, say, 16% for successful mammogram programs is a nice way to put things together in other accepted screening programs, but the benefits of early detection and and finding a lung nodule, while it's still treatable, the benefits are are quite large and impressive. Uh, Now, if a a patient's screening does show a lung nodule, um, we have a scoring system that determines the next course of action. And in reality, we look at both the screening programs and then also just incidental findings. So, We've been dealing with incidental nodules for quite some time. And when we find that incidental nodule, say, for somebody who presents to the ED or gets a CT scan for other reasons, we generally follow what are called Fleischner Society guidelines from 2017. And we'll we'll bring patients into the program if they've got a concerning nodule of greater than or equal to, say, 8 millimeters. Um, or other concerning characteristics that are found. So understand that we have, for our region, tried to capture patients of concern. We may contact uh, your uh, various offices uh, individually, personally, and say, listen, we've got a concerning nodule. Uh, Can we bring that patient in for full assessment? But if we are um, actually participating in the screening program, we use a slightly different set of characteristics, because by default, these patients are at high risk for lung cancer. So, they're going through the program already by meeting criteria. And, and following the basis of our uh, national lung screening trial, we, we follow reading and radiology reports through what's called the lung RADS assessment. And so, there are four general categories, uh, four different levels. You know, there's the negative, lung CT will follow up in a year. There's lung RADS, what we call Category 2, that will have a general benign appearance and felt to be less than 1% chance of having a malignancy there. We'll also defer those for general follow-up, okay? But anything above a lung RADS 2, so a lung RADS Category 3 and above, will propose further follow-up and evaluation. So, in a lung RADS Three category, yes, it is probably going to be benign, about a 1% to 2% chance of malignancy. But these are nodules that are around that 6 to 8 millimeter size, um, or a new nodule that may be a slightly smaller 4 to 6 millimeter size, or what we call part solid nodules that are greater than 6 millimeter size or a ground glass nodule, say, greater than 30 millimeters on a baseline CT, or which is new. A lung RADS three again, a low chance of malignancy, but much more concerning than kind of the first two categories, enough to say we should at least evaluate that patient and have a plan uh, for proceeding. And part of that plan takes into account the patient's own personal preferences, their emotional uh, concerns, Anytime we're discussing the topic of lung cancer, we sensitively approach those patients with not just an objective approach for what the CT shows, but really a a personalized approach for patient wishes, more detailed discussion on risk assessment, and propose different uh, avenues for looking at this nodule. Two other categories that we have are in that higher risk category, a lung RADS, what we call a category 4A, followed by a lung RADS category 4B. The lung RADS category 4A, there's about a 5 to 15% chance of malignancy. The 4B, highly suspicious, greater than 15% chance of malignancy. And they really will surround solid nodules of greater than 8 millimeters, solid nodules that are new, okay, or certainly um, the appearance of, say, an endobronchial lesion or a solid component with a newer growing uh, measurement uh, within its um, region uh, uh, noted compared to previous ones and then the 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 highest uh, concern you can certainly categorize them with increasing size um, increasing solid components and uh, nodules with features that otherwise increase the suspicion for malignancy. So location makes a difference, speculation in the nodule makes a difference. So generally that's the rundown for how we might grade these. Uh, My colleague Caleb goes through that process with each review. Every lung nodule that is identified, whether it's incidental or through the screening program, we bring those patients to a general conference for weekly review, and we review the nodules together as a team, we look at the individual characteristics, what their risks are, and we help determine next best step for evaluation of that uh, that nodule or abnormal imaging as a team. This is an unbiased approach. It includes thoracic surgeon involvement, uh, pulmonary medicine involvement, thoracic uh, radiology, Involvement, as we all know, lung cancer again has many different stages. Um, Four general stages for lung cancer. We've got uh, the fairly early um, cancer stage for non-small cell, uh, starting with just abnormal cells in situ that may evolve into cancer, up and through including stage four where the cancer has spread to both uh, lungs outside of a. A very regional part we categorize small cell cancer into two uh, stages there's the limited stage and there's extensive stage beyond a certain region um, outside of uh, a radiation field based on the score again all of these patients will be funneled into banner md anderson at north colorado and mckee medical center both for the multidisciplinary clinic assessment and again, as stated for our lung nodule review. So all of these patients will have a thorough, comprehensive evaluation uh, prior to diagnosis. And if diagnosis occurs with cancer in mind, we'll bring them efficiently and immediately into our cancer treatment arms. Anything on that, Caleb?
1: Yeah, I think it's super exciting uh, how we've developed the uh, lung nodule conference. Um, I'm, I'm really enthused by where lung cancer screening is is, is, is going and hopefully uh, helping uh, getting more patients into screen and um, detecting early lung cancer. but I think the development of this lung nodule conference is going to be a, a big pause to our program and I think we can both speak from experience that uh, prior to this sort of conference that we're j- really susceptible to having a patient that has a positive nodule that falls through the cracks. Um, You know, that's not common, but it can and and has happened. And the benefit of this conference is that it adds another layer of uh, sort of a safety net to bring in all the patients that have had a positive nodule. They're put on a screen and evaluated by uh, pulmonologists and surgeons, we have a consensus reached on what to do next. We relay that back to the clinician. We have a nurse navigator that um, sort of helps us there too. So I think it just really strengthens our program and completely eliminates the risk of having patients fall through the cracks. So.
2: Yeah, so our, our team is um, is here to also help facilitate the process for any of your patients. Um, again, Dr. Richards and I are part of that team in our various um, specialty fields. We have two exceptional thoracic surgeons that we work closely with, um, Dr. Jason Chang and Dr. Dwight Slater, our uh, thoracic surgical oncology uh, surgeons that work in this field. We work closely with uh, our nurse navigator and our nurse uh, practitioner who helps run our lung nodule clinic so that we can rapidly, quickly, and efficiently uh, take in your patient, alleviate stress and anxiety of uh, the time component. We'd like to get them in within 48 to 72 hours of initial diagnosis. And again, we're meeting every week to review in an unbiased fashion. The strength of unbiased and professional uh, assessment is, is key. We dialogue, we work together very well, and we should be able to return very quickly Uh, communication to your office, and hold uh, a patient in our uh, arms until we get a full, thorough understanding of what is occurring with the lung nodule in front of us. So our program is off the ground. Again, yes, I am really excited about it too, Uh, Caleb. I love working with you. Um, I think we've got a really good team, and I think uh, our impact for how we take care of uh, lung cancer Together is is going to change uh, outcomes in this region drastically.
0: I really love hearing the collaborative care between you guys. And I want to thank you both for taking the time to share more about early detection of lung nodules and how providers can speak with their high risk patients about that importance of screening.
2: Thanks, Caitlin. It's been a good half Thanks, hour. Thanks, Caitlin. Yeah.
0: If you smoke or have a patient that smokes, there is help to quit. Speak with your patients or your doctor, or call a quit hotline. You can learn more about Banner MD Anderson Cancer Center and lung cancer screening by visiting bannerhealth.com backslash services backslash cancer.